she's being harassed uh, by all of these postings. And, you know, wh wh whether, whether you view her as a saint or not, uh, no one should be subjected to that form of harassment. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of Beneath the Law. Uh, my name is Gavin Tai, and my partner and friend, Stephen Teal, and we get to pick a few cases that have come uh, our way that we've come aware of that we think are interesting and hope you think they're interesting, too. Uh, the case we're going to talk about today is really uh, got some strange twists and turns to it and a lot of layers of issues in it, but it deals with a real uh, societal ill and societal problem, particularly uh, in the digital age in which we live in, where uh, communication platforms like Facebook or uh, Instagram or whatnot are used for really awful purposes and uh, addressing some of the basest of human instincts. In that, I'm talking about is cyberbullying and the really insidious practice of bullying that goes on place online, sometimes with really terrible results. Uh, and the uh, the effect that that has on people. And that is a real problem, and one that at least one jurisdiction in Canada has sought to address through legislation, and that province is the province of Nova Scotia. Uh, and the case that we're going to be talking about uh, deals with a application under the Nova Scotia legislation uh, to take down, if you will, a postings or a, a Facebook page that had been brought forward specifically targeting one individual. Um, so Stephen, maybe you can give our listeners a little bit of a background on the facts of this particular case. Uh, sure. Thank you, Gavin. Great to join you once again and to you, the listener, for uh, joining us once again. So yes, this uh, case uh, has a lot of layers and almost reminds me like of a Lord of the Flies kind of... Um, uh, community uh, where they're taking uh, the law into their own hands, so to speak, with respect to uh, the applicant uh, in this case. So uh, the applicant uh, had been uh, previously charged uh, years ago uh, with animal cruelty. And well, I guess well, she, she had convicted. developed Pardon she, me? She was convicted. Yeah, she was convicted. Yeah. She was uh, not... Right. This, I don't think we're talking about... Like, <laughs> in fairness, let's just, just a step back. When we think about cyberbullying, uh, you know, we think about a victim um, and we think about perpetrators. This particular victim it was... was I, I have to say, Stephen, is not, is not making me um, shed a lot of tears, even crocodile tears, because... She was just not a nice person. I mean, I'm a dog lover, and she was convicted of cruelty to dogs. I don't know if she was she ran a puppy mill, or I don't know what the the background was, but she had been convicted of of animal cruelty and assaulting a peace officer uh, a number of years ago. And then what we what happened? I'm, and I don't mean to interrupt you. Just sort of a quick background: a bunch of people found out about her, and I guess there were a lot of dog lovers out there who. Similarly, uh, were very impressed by this particular individual, and they set up a Facebook group where they proceeded to rant, for lack of a better word, about this nasty person. 
Well, it, it, it's vigilante uh, justice uh, over the internet. Uh, you're absolutely right uh, that the community uh, members, uh, uh, you know, somebody set up a, the respondents set up a Facebook page, uh, stop this person. Uh, you know, she, uh, you know, mistreats animals, uh, beware, watch your dog, uh, this uh, applicant is around and may steal your dog. Uh, then you have people uh, uh, who see this uh, on Facebook uh, who are allowed to post comments. You know, uh, some of the comments was somebody should shoot the person, uh, somebody should beat the person to a pulp. Uh, you know, that they'd be willing to do it. Uh, they basically were uh, putting her under surveillance. By the way, uh, you know, watch out. She's in your area. You know, watch your dog. And, uh, you know, so she's being harassed uh, by all of these postings. And, you know, wh wh whether whether you view her as a saint or not, uh, no one should be subjected to that form of harassment. And so she went to court uh, and sought an order to get these Facebook posts removed. Um, and so the legislation, I, I think the legislation, Gavin, quite honestly, is great because, uh, you know, it, it, people are entitled to the protection of their reputations. And, uh, uh, you know, certainly you can speak uh, about someone and, and, you know, if you don't have a great impression of them, that's one thing. Uh, but to take it beyond that, to uh, begin to uh, say that she should be physically harmed uh, because of her past conduct, that, that's, an, that's inappropriate. No, I agree with uh, that 100%. Um, I think the, the, that is exactly the point here was that saying that this particular individual was, you know, you, you're entitled to your opinion of them. The fact that she had been convicted of uh, animal cruelty in the past is a fact. Um, this is a person who had a history, obviously, of cruelty to animals. And there are a great many people who feel quite passionately about that. Um, and that is something that they're, of course, free to discuss. But when you come to the point, as you mentioned, where you're saying, we're going to kill this person or we're going to hurt them, um, to the to the point, I think the evidence before the court was, at least in the decision, was that this was causing this individual serious anxiety. They were they were fearful uh, for their safety uh, as this um, mob-like frenzy on Facebook was whipped up with all of these insults. And you know, quite frankly, who who knows who was going to take that uh, to the next level and take it offline and and then take it into the real world and actually carry out some of these threats that are are made online uh, and and that's that's gavin to me the r very real danger uh once you get a group of people talking about doing something it kind of feeds on itself and in the end you know what somebody decides you know what yeah i'm gonna do that yeah the digital lynch mob it's it's it reminds me of those old movies, uh, you know, where you're watching uh, people uh, storm uh, uh, Dracula's castle with, with pitch, pitchforks, with pitchforks <laughs> and torches. Yeah, well, you know, they were getting here, pretty wound that up. We don't like in the community. Let's get the monster, uh, uh, sort of speak, uh, mentality, and uh, you know, I mean, really, that's what cyberbullying is all about, right? It's a it's a group of people sit around 
oh, you know, we don't like A because, you know, they don't dress the way that we dress or they don't have, uh, you know, their hair is not uh, nicely combed or whatever. And then people get together and they start chatting on whether it's Facebook or texting on TikTok, what, uh, whatever uh, uh, social media they can use. And that's really, that's a form of bullying. And it has very real ramifications uh, to the person who's not uh, necessarily well-liked by others and, you know, creates mental uh, anguish. Um, people get suicidal, Gavin. They get depressed. Uh, there are people who counsel uh, others, hey, you know, uh, you better kill yourself. Uh, you know, that's how bad it gets. And quite frankly, I mean, this this case has, as you say, a lot of layers to it. Uh, those are crimes in Canada, right? No, I... Under our criminal code, you cannot harass people. Uh, I think the legislation in Nova Scotia is, basically arises out of, you know, somebody posting images, um, explicit images of someone, and she saw that and ended up killing herself, right? Uh, you know, so we now have legislation in Canada that uh, protects that and makes it a crime. Uh, to do those sort of things. You break up with your boyfriend, you break up with your girlfriend, you know, all of a sudden you're posting uh, images of that person. You can't do that. Uh, that's wrong. Yeah, I, I think I think that, I think that we're, those are all extremely important uh, social goals. And I think that was the intent of the legislation. You know, it's always troubling to me sometimes when you see the, the law in action and where you get a situation uh, like this person, where unfortunately I think that there's another societal um, uh, good or or objective that may in fact be legitimate that is obviously taken too far here. But there, you know, you'll you'll often hear from people that they have a right, for example, to know uh, if uh, if there's someone in their community that is has a proclivity to commit an offense if they were involved in. In uh, in child in 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 child molestation, for example, people want to know if those sex sexual offenders, for example, are in the neighborhood, so to speak. And I would expect that many of the people in this Facebook group felt the same way about animals and dogs in particular, and they wanted to know whether this type of person was in their uh, in their neighborhood. So when they take it to that next with their pitchforks and torches, uh, that's another that's a different story. But I think that, I, and I hope that, the good intention and the good purpose of the legislation is not lost uh, because it is applied in this particular instance to someone who is, frankly, probably not that sympathetic uh, in the greater scheme of things to most people. They are someone who is uh, not a particularly, um, you know, upstanding individual, apparently. But they well, don't deserve to be threatened. They don't deserve to be fearful of their of their life either. Let me ask you this, Gavin. You're, um, you know, you're a very prominent civil litigation lawyer. And you have a client that comes to you uh, with respect to all these kinds of postings uh, on the internet. Uh, and here in Ontario, uh, you know, what can you do about it? Right. Versus, you know, we have a legislation here in Nova Scotia that actually gives a right right away to somebody. But in Ontario, um, you know, would those postings last for a long time? Like, what would you do? 
in this particular instance, I think you'd have two, you really only have two options. You could bring an application to a judge uh, to get an injunction that they'd be taken down, or you could sue for defamation. Um, or in this particular instance, I do think though, that if someone, if there are threats online, I'm going to kill this person, for example, the, uh, the answer is call the police. It is a crime to threaten someone's life in Canada. And it's, if the, perhaps if the police knocked on the door, uh, that would stop. Now, in this particular case, though, what we had was, and this is where we get into the real layers, the individual applicant uh, went to court on her own, had no lawyer. She filed her own materials. She brought an application to have these postings taken down under, I don't even know if she noted the Nova Scotia legislation. She got to court. The administrator of the Facebook page was served, but never showed up. So we had an unrepresented applicant uh, on an unopposed application, and the an order went that the that the posts be taken down. But what was interesting, I thought, and I think it's a real issue that goes far beyond this legislation, is when we have unrepresented the the number of unrepresented litigants in the system right now is just is mind boggling. The cost of litigation is such that people just can't afford. Most people can't afford. Uh, to pay a lawyer uh, to deal with something that is a, you know, a personal issue like this um, and fund it all the way through. So, and in this particular instance where we had an unrepresented litigant on an unopposed application, when you read the decision, the judge uh, hearing it kind of took upon herself to go one step further. And she actually did the research, the legal research herself to frankly make out the applicant's case. And that is a little troubling. Don't you think that when the judge uh, takes it upon themselves to act for, in a way, the applicant to achieve the remedy? I, I'm, I'm not sure about that, uh, Gavin, in the case of an unrepresented litigant, uh, that a judge's role should be limited to uh, only hearing the cases that the other side has to offer. Um, you know, in, in this case, there was really no other side, as, as you said, to, uh, the other, uh, the person who was posting these, um, uh, who had uh, created this Facebook group, uh, wasn't before the court because, uh, she never responded. Um, you know, and, and courts, you know, I've often seen courts take it upon themselves, uh, that they do additional research. Now, uh, some lawyer, uh, some judges, uh, get criticized uh, for doing that because what they end up doing is they add uh, an argument that was never raised before them. In other instances, they're basically just applying the law that was not put before them by the lawyers involved. And I don't think that that's necessarily wrong. Uh, you've probably uh, been involved in cases, Gavin, where a court or a judge has said uh, to you, if, uh, if they are concerned about uh, the precedents or the cases that are presented before them uh, or the issues to say, look, I haven't really seen the law on this. Can you go back and provide that to me? Yeah, I think, well, look, I think that that's um, absolutely the a proper role of a judge. Uh, just stepping back from this particular instance one, for one second, I think a judge is right to be concerned uh, if, for example, a case that the judge believes is relevant has not been brought forward. 
uh, by by council or by the parties, and particularly where you've got unrepresented parties. And I think it's it's perfectly appropriate for a judge to say, for example, what do you what do you have to say about case X Y Z? Um, how do you say that applies or doesn't apply? Those those are appropriate issues. And and in fairness, I think that I'm thinking about this, and I think the position of a judge, you know, judges are were lawyers before they were judges, uh, for the most part. Uh, most people go to law school because they want to help people. They want to um, advance the law. They want to stand up for for people's rights. And I think judges never really lose that. And then when they get in into a courtroom situation, it's kind of the natural instinct of the of any lawyer to sort of root for the underdog, if you will. And if someone's unrepresented in front of them, uh, and you think they've got a meritorious case to kind of help them along. I think that is a natural instinct of most lawyers. And as I say, all judges were lawyers and are still lawyers. So, uh, yeah, I think that these these are issues. I think that there's there's uh, it, it's a little troubling to me sometimes when a judge steps over the line of, of being a judge and sort of comes across and as more as counsel to one party than the other. Uh, and that is certainly what occurred here to some extent, because the judge went off and did the research under the Nova, Nova Scotia legislation, uh, put a number of uh, authorities into the decision that I am quite certain, and I think the judge was candid about, uh, were never referred to by anybody. So the judge came to their her own remedy here, um, appropriately, I think, taking down the offending Facebook page and ordering the administrator to do that. Well, and, and that's what I really find uh, uh, very interesting about the case. Uh, certainly, a judge should never climb down from the bench uh, to insert themselves as an advocate of uh, one side over the other, uh, you know, just as a, a matter of basic principle, in my view. But um, what I find really interesting about this case, Gavin, is uh, the Nova Scotia legislation is designed in such a way that um, the party who's bringing one of these applications doesn't need to identify uh, who the uh, poster is of the harmful comment. So, uh, you know, in this uh, particular case, um, uh, the facts are that the posters were other people. They weren't the, uh, uh, the person who had set up the first Facebook page. It was other people in the community that had posted the comments. And normally... Um, in a defamation case, if I come across a website where someone has posted a defamatory comment, I need to bring my action against that particular person, not the person who's hosting uh, necessarily the website or, uh, you know, uh, let's say Google uh, or Facebook um, or Yahoo. I need to uh, be able to identify who the person is before I can actually bring an action. So, you know, we talk about process and you talked about an injunction. Well, the first step in that kind of a case is you actually have to bring a um, uh, a motion what? to get the identity of the person. So how many, how much cost are you incurring, uh, uh, you know, to protect your reputation? And that's what I really like uh, about the Nova Scotia legislation, which I think uh, really is a shining star in Canada as legislation um, that other provinces should be looking at to protect people. Because, you know, we, we t you talked about going to the police. Here is a, uh, a person who was found guilty of a crime, 
and I think uh, part of it was assaulting a peace officer or something. She's going to go to the uh, uh, p- uh, police station and, and, and make a complaint about this Facebook group. Is she honestly going to be believed by the, uh, by the police? So it would have been, I think, a little bit difficult for her to go to a police station um, to make a complaint. Uh, so she found this remedy in this uh, piece of legislation uh, to at least uh, p- uh, prevent any further damage uh, damage from going forward. Right, and and it's important that that's exactly the guts of the um, of the decision uh, was that the and the test of the in the legislation that the court referred to was that the communication must to. And I quote here: "Must cause or be likely to cause harm to another individual's health or well-being." And the judge came to the conclusion that posts that contained, and I get quoted again, graphic threats of harm uh, to the plaintiff personally, whether by assault or with a weapon, those were the types of threats that quote are likely to cause harm to the plaintiff's health or well-being. And because of the fear and anxiety that they would uh, entail on that plaintiff. So that's where the judge got to. And that was the, I think, positive and uh, useful societal uh, goal that the legislation was sought to achieve. Um, again, here, though, that it, it is an interesting case. In, in, in this regard, let me ask you this question. This has always been my experience and troubling to me. It's all very nice uh, to get a... Uh, an order against someone like Google or Facebook, how do you enforce it? I'm troubled by that because, you know, most of these uh, companies, first of all, they're not um, located in Canada. And, you know, they may be, I guess they're located in the United States, but, uh, uh, you know, some of these other companies who are less well-known, uh, are located in some other foreign jurisdiction. And you know, how, how do you get them uh, 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 into Canada? And you've got conflict of law issues, which are very complicated, but you also have uh, freedom of speech uh, protections in some of these other jurisdictions. The United States is a very, very uh, strong country for protecting freedom of speech. And so is an order in Canada going to be looked upon as being contrary to the public policy of the United States when you're asking somebody to take off or or take down a posting on a website that is, you know, under the umbrella of a uh, of a US-based company? I think that's a huge issue. First of all, let's just break that down for a second. Um Enforcing an order uh, from Canada in the United States is generally a challenging exercise because he, although there is this notion of full faith and credit in the U.S. and certainly here in Canada, um, I do think that American courts kind of look sideways at uh, orders from Canadian jurisdictions, um, and I think it is a process to get them enforced, number one. Number two is I think money of these big tech companies, for example, Facebook, or, or I guess it's called Meta now, um, they don't really care. Uh, they, right. they, I mean, trying to, to write to Google, for example, as just but one example, um, to, to take down defamatory uh, postings that are found on their search engine is basically like 
instead of putting a, a message in a bottle on a desert island. I mean, good luck. They just don't respond. Uh, or they well, don't... I, I think, uh, in fairness, some companies are better than others. But it's it strikes me more that uh, uh, the companies who are not as uh, well-known uh, certainly uh, take an attitude that regardless that they have procedures where you can make a complaint to take down an offensive uh, post, uh, we'll simply ignore it. And, you know, you can get uh, sometimes uh, the police involved or even their policies will say, well, you need to go through a police force. We're right. not listening to anybody else. Precisely. And so if the police doesn't care because it's, look, let's face it, uh, a posting on, you know, a defamatory posting, well, that's not a criminal matter in, in most circumstances. That's a civil or a private matter. The police aren't getting involved in that. They've got other better things to do. Exactly. It isn't a crime and the police will generally not be involved in that at all. And I, and I agree with you that many of them do not respond to um, private citizen complaints about it. And I also agree with you that there are invariably... Uh, in many of these sites, internal procedures uh, that they require you to follow in terms of complaint handling, adjudication, et cetera, uh, which may or may not yield the result. All the while, of course, um, the harmful postings are uh, on the internet literally for everyone to see anytime they'd like to. But there are companies, I suppose, that specialize in trying to remove those at the same time as well. But the Nova Scotia legislation is extremely interesting and important uh, because I, th I think what your point is, is that it actually makes it effective and easier for victims to have the harmful content removed by the actual person who had posted it in the first place or the administrator of the Facebook page in this particular example. Yeah, because it, it makes one person... Uh, responsible for all of the content, and so if uh, if you know in Nova Scotia, if you're the person who's running some chat group uh, that's public, or you're creating a uh, Facebook group, be aware that uh, you know you're responsible for the content that's posted uh, on that group, and you know you need to vet. If you're going to take on the responsibility to set something like this up, you need to monitor what's going on. A little bit of responsibility uh, is important, and I think particularly in the in the age of social media, where so much damage can be done under the cover of anonymity and pseudonym, uh, and if this legislation does curtail that a bit and bring some personal responsibility back to social media. Good on it. Well, thanks, Stephen. That was a great topic and a great, very interesting case um, where sometimes a good results uh, come out, even if you don't particularly like the people because you're a dog lover like I am. But uh, it's a good it's a good result, an important societal issue and uh, a great discussion as always. And thank you all for participating and listening. Hope you enjoyed uh, this episode of Beneath the Law. And as we're fond of saying, if no one is above the law, everyone is beneath it. Hope to see, hear from you and hear from all of you. And please give us your feedback and comments. We're real rookies at this. And anything, any suggestions are, are gladly uh, read. And uh, hopefully we can make this even better as we keep uh, bringing you Beneath the Law episodes. Stay tuned for the next one.